Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Bibles and turn to Luke. I would say if you would, but I'm going to just say, please, just turn to your Bibles, your tablets, your phones. To the Gospel of Luke, we are in the 17th chapter, looking at verses 11 through 19. As we continue, what we started with the young people is the thankful leper. The thankful leper. Today is a milestone of sorts. As we open our pages to our passage today, it is our 100th message, our 100th week in Luke's Gospel. That began on the first week of December of 2019. So imagine everything that has happened over these last uh, two, three years, 2019 or so that we started this. Uh, But it's also the 17th anniversary of my pastorate here at OVBC. Uh, We have much to be thankful for these past few years. And God has been very good to us. We've been through many different types of trials, but also some wonderful blessings. So on behalf of my family and the church, we want to give glory to God who has sustained us and all of you who have supported us over the years. Last week, Jesus instructed the 12 on the proper attitude in serving you these using, excuse me, the illustration of a slave tasked with chores both outside and inside the home. Remember that story and that time. And through this parable, Jesus teaches us to honor our masters and to humbly serve the Father with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, as well as our neighbors, without any regard for rewards and recognition. This is very difficult for us to do in this type of age when everything is so inwardly focused. To accomplish this, we must put aside all selfish ambition and pride. Now, as we go forward in today's passage, Luke records another encounter with Jesus with a group of lepers. So he's going to be moving aside from speaking to his disciples, and he's going to give us a story about Jesus with a group of lepers that he, uh, who are desiring to be healed. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 14, we'll read those just to get us started. Luke writes, on the way to Jerusalem, he, speaking of Jesus, was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Father, what a wonderful story if we were just to end right there. Like them, we want to be cleansed. We want to give praise. We want to be thankful we ourselves should cry out Jesus have mercy on us if there is any who has not this morning any who might listen to me or watch me later or through any of our social medias Lord may they also cry out and see that you are the master and cry out for mercy and may they too have cleansing so be with us this morning as we delve into this story that you speak to our hearts and help us to respond to whatever the work that the Holy Spirit has for us this morning your name we pray. 
Amen. Now, this is the third mention of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Remember, he has a divine appointment at the cross, and so his face now is set, and he's, he's making his way to Jerusalem. Pastor Patrick Schreiner, theologian Patrick Schreiner, notes that the final part of Jesus' discipleship, as we come to this passage, is that the final part of Jesus' discipleship teaching to his slow lumber to Jerusalem is centered on the coming kingdom. He promises them that the kingdom of God is already in their midst, but it is also still to come. So with that, these next few passages, these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at that section of Jesus' teaching, his instructions, and also his warnings. The next several passages is a collection of his teachings, of parables, stories, and encounters that exhort the disciples to be ready for what lies ahead. And what lies ahead, you might ask, is the torture and the betrayal, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ, but also his resurrection and his ascension. And after three years of following Jesus, the time is coming near when they will need to pick up his mantle and spread the good news that Jesus has come to reconcile man with God. Luke writes that Jesus is passing along the area of Samaria and Galilee. I've shown you this map before, but here it is again with a little bit more of detail there. As you can see, that red line that's coming through, hopefully you can see that okay through there. This is Jesus' travel through there. And as you see, there's Galilee. That's part of, uh, of kind of a Gentile area, but mainly with Jews. And then you'll see there's Judah on the bottom, but right smack in the middle is Samaria. And you normally see is that people would take that red straight down where the River Jordan is. That's how they would get to Judea, so they wouldn't have to pass through. But we see Jesus is passing through. He, he goes into Samaria and walks alongside of it. As you recall, that most pious Jews avoided Samaria at all costs. There was no love loss between the two groups. They would take the longer journey around, as Mo noticed by the bottom part of that red line, so they would not come into any contact with Samaritans. As we've seen, there's no love lost between the two groups. However, Jesus is not letting that attitude and that selfish ambition and that prideful attitude keep him from fulfilling his ministry. Jesus has a divine appointment on that day, and it's right where they need to be. And so he's traveling through it. I'm sure the, his disciples and all those who are traveling with him, Jerusalem, says, why are we taking this route? It's not Jesus knows whose country in. We're going to wind up running into him. I, I just bet you we're going to run into those dirty Samaritans. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's led them again. There's a preordained mission from God, the Father. And providence has led them to this exact place, this exact spot for a purpose. So as he's coming along that area there by the red line, you see, is all of a sudden we see that there's some lepers that are calling out to him. Now, you may recall that lepers were not allowed in the villages and were required to keep a distance. And that's what Luke says. They're at a distance shouting to Jesus. The lepers were probably, even though they typically were socially outcast, they were probably grouped together for protection, for mutual comfort, uh, and, and, and just for, for uh, companionship. And having heard of Jesus' power and his authority over sickness, over demons, and even death, 
they approach from a safe distance and begin to yell to get his attention. Jesus, 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 master. We've seen this time and time again. Now, typically, people don't enjoy or respond when people begin to yell at them. I don't know how you are, but the more the kids yell, the less I want to, or the grandkids at this point, the less you want to listen, right? Until eventually they get your attention. This is kind of what's going on. Jesus, Jesus, here, see me, see me. Here, I'm yelling at you. We need something from you. But Jesus here, as he's walking along, hears their cry for mercy, for healing. Now, showing compassion on their plight as outcast for their disease and their alienation from their family and the community around them, Jesus looks at them, he sees them, he hears them. And, and that's something, again, this is a side note, not a main point of the message. We've seen it, Luke point this out earlier, but Jesus is the one, just as God, who heard and sees and remembers his promises to his people in Exodus, God sees, he hears. He responds to the cries of his people. Jesus instructs them to go to the local priest. Jesus' command is following the requirements of the law regarding different skin diseases. Only a priest could offer them a diagnosis of being cleansed and healed, and then they would then be cleared to rejoin their family and rejoin their community and temple worship. Remember, lepers could not even go and worship God in the temple. They could not go into the villages. They could not live in their homes. If they had wives and children, they had to live separate from them. And if they were to see them, they were to see them at a difference. These are people who are at the end of the road. There is no hope for them. You and I have maybe heard or read in the past of leper colonies. And there are still those even today in other parts of the world. Leprosy covers a whole host of skin diseases. But in this case, there's no hope really for cleansing. There was no cure. They would go, and we've read through this in Leviticus, where they would go and have to show themselves before the priest. So Jesus says, just just go now and send yourselves to the priest, which is odd. Because they're asking for cleansing, And Jesus doesn't say, okay, you are healed. He doesn't go up and touch them like he does some. He doesn't go up and pray for them. He doesn't nothing. He just says, well, well, go to the priest and show yourself to them. What a a strange command. Probably not what they were expecting. You can almost imagine themselves looking at each other. What what did Jesus say? Did you hear him right? Uh, Jesus, could you repeat that? I can't go to the priest yet. I'm a leper. But what we see is they eventually turn around and follow his commands. Jesus tells them to go to the priest before he heals them from their condition. But what we see is as they begin to turn and begin to walk to their local priest, what happens? Cleansed. Obedience and cleansing. In Luke 15, Luke tells us they went on their own merry way, except for one. Look with me at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, I don't know how far they got, but it says they turned back, praising God with a loud voice. I I don't know if it was one step, two steps, ten steps. Maybe he got a half a mile and all of a sudden they noticed they were cleansed. But somewhere, somewhere, as they obeyed, they were cleansed. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke points out, now he was a Samaritan. That's important. 
Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to this God except this foreigner? There's the twist in the story. Now, you and I could assume that in their excitement and their healing, that leads them to, that leads them to just run home, speaking of the nine. Their, their excitement, their cleanse, they just run to the priest so they can go home. You, you can imagine that, their excitement. They want to reconnect with their families. How, however, one is so overcome with joy that he actually turns back. He delays his presentation before the priest. He delays his reunion with his family. He delays his reunion with getting his job back or whatever it is, his, 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 his um, entrance back in the community to go and give praise to Jesus, to show his gratitude. Now, we notice four actions of the returning cleansed leper. One, he turns back. He's praising God with a loud voice. Now, that's interesting. He's praising God for what Jesus has did. And what you see is there's something that they're, they're recognizing. He falls at the feet of Jesus, and he's giving him thanks, and he's praising God. And in response, Jesus asks three rhetorical questions. The, the man's not to answer it, but they're rhetorical, meaning that the answer is pretty evident. Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed? Yes. Where are the others? They didn't come back. And why only the foreigner? That's the interesting point. Only the foreigner. Only the Samaritan. The others were Jews, as we can confer from that. Like many of us, Jesus is wondering why the other nine could not take the time to at least give Jesus a thumbs up. Okay, he's done that from the distance. How about a head nod? Tip of the hat? I don't know, how would you respond if God gave you a healing? If God changed your life, how would you respond? Would you turn back or fall at his feast and give praise, or do you just continue on with life? Completely healed, they are more focused on their renewed lease on life that they do not even turn back to show their gratitude to the one who healed them. This is another example that we've spoken of the past of loving the gift, but not the giver. Loving the gift, but not the giver, right? We're all guilty of that. Whether it's God, our spouse, whatever it might be. We love the gifts, but our love of the giver sometimes is very, very suspect. Yet we also recognize that this is not too surprising as many are inflicted with this condition of loving the gifts and not the giver. We ourselves. What is surprising is that it was only the Samaritan of the group that actually came back to worship Jesus. And that's what you're seeing here is not just someone saying, hey, thank you, or hey, that was a good move. That was really wonderful. Thank you very much. But this is a praise and worship session that you see. That, that's what it meant to fall at someone's feet to praise God. This is someone who's recognizing that someone in front of them is someone worth worshiping. And what you see is Jesus is not saying no. Now, that's how you can tell if the difference if it was an angel or Jesus in the Old Testament is whether or not they accepted the worship. And when it was an angel, they say, no, stand up. I'm just, I'm just like you are. Or, you know, I'm an angel. I'm just a messenger. But Jesus is accepting this worship. Remember, these nine men before, 
They were all calling out to Jesus using the term master, meaning one who has authority. They recognized that there was something special, authoritative of Jesus. They recognized that something was special and supernatural about him. But only the Samaritan recognized that Jesus was empowered by Yahweh, by God. In response to this man's gratefulness, Jesus replies in verse 19, whether it's in your Bible or in your monitor, you may want to underline this, highlight this, whatever you might do in your Bible. Jesus says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Again, we define faith as, you know, just a, a confident trust in the person of God. This man's obedience by turning and going to the priest, recognizing his condition was changed, and then his response of praising and worshiping God leads to what is, we see here is something even greater. Now, there are several things that you and I can learn from this quick encounter. First, this is more than about physical healing. More than physical healing is in view as Jesus comments on the Samaritan's faith. Jesus is pointing out that this man's faith in the work of his Christ, the work of Christ, is not just healing faith, but what we see here is a saving faith. And there's a difference. This is a faith that saves. This leper is giving thanks to God for the work of Jesus in his life in cleansing him. His object of faith, speaking of the leper, is not in his righteousness or in his identity as a victim in suffering. Now get that, because that's what we have today, is many of us think that God, the giver, owes us something because I am a victim of suffering outside of my own. Whether it's identity politics, whether it's in the culture, or whatever, I am a victim, and so God owes me this. My spouse owes me this. The government owes me this. My boss owes me this. No, he saw himself. His object of faith was not in those things, but in the mercy of the master. Because of his faith, you'll see these three things here on the monitor. He received more than just a regenerated flesh, a cleansed flesh, but also a regenerated heart, a new heart that was promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Number two, he received more than just restoration with his family, but he also received reconciliation with a God, with, not a God, with God, excuse me. Number three, he received more than just his life back, but he also received eternal life. You can take a picture of that with your phone if you're trying to take notes real quickly. Something of that nature. That's at least one thing the phone gives us, right? He receives much more than what he was asking for that morning. I don't think he woke up that morning and he looked at his thing and his itinerary and said, oh, is Jesus passing by today? Did, we get, did you get that memo? Did you see that poster? Yeah, I got it on my phone. He's coming by. Well, let's stand over there and yell. Have mercy, have mercy. He was just looking for a, a respite from his suffering. 
He was looking for some way of, of healing of his skin, of reuniting with his family, but he received much more than that. And here's the thing. When you and I call out to God for mercy, we receive much more than typically what you and I are expecting. Secondly, what makes this shocking is that once again, Gentiles are included in the ministry of Christ. And we see that they are more receptive to Jesus' ministry than his own people. Of course, that doesn't surprise us because we've all read, read Isaiah 53. He is rejected by his own, right? His own did not receive him. But once again, Jesus here is responsible. You're a foreigner and you're the only one here. Luke points it out. This man was a Samaritan. He was not a Jew. But yet he met the Son of God. And his life was changed more than just physical healing. But there was an inner change that took place. We can see this many times in scripture in Jesus' ministry. Whether it's the woman at the well. Remember she was Samaritan. The Canaanite woman whose daughter had a demon. At first God says, well, you know what? I'm just here for the Jews. And she says, well, yeah, but even the dogs eat from the scraps from the table. Or the Roman centurion whose child was near death. They are just a few examples of how Gentiles are included in the ministry of Christ. And even though Jesus declared that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, he also responded positively to those who demonstrated a confident trust in the person of God, in the person of Christ. Thirdly, there's a warning in his rhetorical rebuke of the other nine to those questions. Who, though it seems that they were Jewish, those who should have been anticipating the Messiah did not respond to Jesus in faith. Now, they had a faith to obey. They, they had enough faith to turn and go to the priest, but there was not enough faith to go and worship. Now, that's important as we go on. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Even though they experienced healing and were cleansed, it did not lead to saving faith. That's important. Jesus healed many, many people. We could not even guess at the number, probably the tens of thousands he, he, might, have, he might have healed, but not all were healed for eternal life. They failed to recognize their very own Messiah, the promised anointed one of God, the prince. They tasted of God's goodness, but they were not impressed. It's like someone bringing you some, uh, I can't even name some of the, 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 the big foods that are very, very expensive. And someone says, taste this. And you eat it and say, oh, it's not much. Theologian Robert Stein, as you're turning to Hebrews 6, writes this. He says, Luke, again, it warns his readers that one can experience God's work and even his healing but fall short of salvation. And that this last state may be, in fact, be worse than the first. And hold that up. So let me put this in some different terms as you and I are sitting here. There are many that can go to church and hear the word of God. They can stand up and sing. They can give money to the church. 
They can come forward and say, I accept Christ. They become a member of the church. They can participate in communion. They can even see their, their marriage restored and maybe things in their family go better. But in the end, they fall short of salvation. They open their Bibles and they say, look, my mom said it. I got saved at VBS when I was seven. I got saved in junior church when I was 10. That's not saving faith. See, you can experience some of the goodness of God and not be saved. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. The writer of Hebrew warns, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. In other words, in some way, the Holy Spirit has opened their minds and hearts to the things of the gospel. Who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to reject that, to apostatize, to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. There are many who have said, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. Yes, I am saved, but yet their lives are marked by turning away from Jesus and walking away as these nine leopards did. You see, salvation is the one who turns back to Jesus, who worships him. So here's a warning for us, is we need to understand that. So how should you and I apply this passage 2,000 years later in a land far, far away, you know, taking the Star Wars type thing there, with people so far removed from us? How is this profitable? How is these verses here profitable for doctrine, to teach us anything? How is it profitable to, to rebuke me, to tell me when I, I've got wrong thinking in my head? How, how does it tell me how to get correct at and how to stay right, training in righteousness? How does this do that? Because that's what the Bible says. You see, this passage is more than just a story that we read. We tell the children, and it's a good moral tale. Always be thankful to Jesus for all that you have. We could use that. We could say amen and go off. You can get that message anywhere, but not here. Because this message has more than just be thankful and be grateful. To answer that, I would ask and answer these questions. Why do people walk away from praising God after receiving some type of gift from him? Why do we cry out for mercy and seek out the gifts of God, but actually deny or ignore, neglect the giver? Or said I say, scorn the giver. Why do we respond to Jesus as our Savior, our Master, and our Healer with thanksgiving and gratefulness and worship? So why do some and others not? Why did one respond and the other nine didn't? Well, I want to give you two things. Number one, they've experienced the glory of God, but are not truly regenerated. They've experienced the glory of God, but are not regenerated. That's what we just read in Hebrews. In Matthew chapter 13, 18 through 23, we read the story of the parable of the soils. And, and several years ago, I believe, uh, um, Landon took us through there and did a great job of it. In Matthew 13, if you want to turn there very quickly, we just have a little bit of time here. Matthew 13, 
Jesus tells the parable of the four soil. Remember, the farmer goes on and he casts out seeds, right? And, he, and he's indiscriminate, right? He's just throwing them out. He's not walking in some straight line or, or in a way in which he's just trying to put it in a good spot. He's just scattering out. And he says, some fall on the wayside, you know, over on the path. Some fall in rocky soil. Some fall among the weeds. Some then fall on good soil. So what is that? You know, and then we know that the seeds that fall on the wayside, the birds come and eat it up. It's not going to plant anything. I have a yard by that way. By the way, this is beside the point. I am trying. I've got some bare spots. I can't grow grass for the life of me. I just don't know how you can. I just don't know. I can boil water. I just, do, I just can't grow grass. Well, actually, God makes all things grow. I've planted. I've watered. But God has not caused it to grow for some reason. But what we see in this story, we find out then, right, that that the seed is the word of God. And we are to indiscriminately just pass it around, right? At work, at the gym, wherever we are, we're to share the word of God. Sometimes it's going to fall on on just some, on a path. And, you know, the birds are going to take it. And and someone says, yeah, thanks, no thanks. I get that a lot when I'm passing out flyers in neighborhoods or things of that nature. Then you'll get some, it says here, is the parable where it falls on rocky ground. That's the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root, but endures for a while. And when tribulations and persecutions come because of the world, they begin to get ridiculed. They realize that, man, living for Jesus is kind of tough. People really don't like that. I'm afraid of being canceled. They turn and they walk away from Christ. And then he says, there's some, though, who hear the word, and this is those that are among the thorns. So that finds some soil. But he says, those are ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the world, and it proves unfaithful. Those are those who hear the word of God and say, yes, I believe it. I want to be a Christian, but yet they're too concerned about their retirement. They're too concerned about their new house or the boat. All the toys. They're more concerned about the relationships and what people think of them. They receive it. They hear it. But in the end, they're like the leopards. They turn away and walk away from Jesus. In other words, they say, no mas. No, I I don't want that. I I don't want that gift. I don't know why I said no mas, but (laughs) there it is for all the world to see. No, I I know no Spanish. Just a piquito. And I'm probably not even saying that correctly. But it's always fun when I go over and say hi to the Spanish church over there. I always say, como estas or whatever. And then they always, they always correct my, my, um, my pronunciation. And then they just give me that look. It's like, quit trying. But I love them and they love me, I think. They keep saying something in Spanish, but I don't know what it is. But it has nothing to do with the message. Let's go back. See, it's only those who fall on the good soil that endure the suffering, that endure the persecution, that scorn the ridicule and turn and follow Jesus and praise and worship him that are truly saved, that have saving faith. So out of the 10, it was only 1%. It was only one. Hence the warning that I always tell people here is don't assume your salvation. The Bible tells us to test and examine whether we are in the faith. So why do some not follow Christ after setting through good biblical teaching, through growing up in Christian schools and Christian families, and they still turn around? Because they are not regenerated. They're not born again. 
We should pray for them because Hebrews tells us that once you've tasted of the goodness of God, it is very, very difficult to get another taste to respond to repentance. Give me an example. We sung It Is Well. Wonderful song. You love that song? One of the first songs I ever did is a special acapella, by the way. Scared the life of me. I don't know why I did it. But everyone's heard the story. That man wrote that. Stafford, I think, was his last name. I might have gotten it wrong, but it's something that Stafford, Stafford. He wrote that song after losing his, his children in a shipwreck back in the 1800s. He gets the news that he loses his, some of his children. They die in that wreck, and he writes that song, It Is Well. And we all talk about his wonderful courage, his faith in believing that even at the loss of his family, he said, it is well with my soul. But what most people don't know about the story is at the end, he and his wife apostized. They began to create their own cult, actually a sex cult. They moved to Jerusalem and began a new cult. His wife, when he died, made it a sex cult. Back in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, you could look it up. But in the end, both of them lost their soul, even though one of the greatest hymns ever written was written by a man who turned away from Jesus Christ. They had tasted and tasted the goodness of God, but turned away. They experienced a healing of sort. In other words, God comes and through the Holy Spirit will sometimes will enliven you just enough for you to come, but yet it's not saving faith. Many times people taste the Holy Spirit because of their spouse is a Christian and their other spouse is not. That's why it says in Hebrews to a, to a believing wife with an unbelieving husband, live in a godly way and you may affect him. That's why we as godly parents, we say, well, our children are not saved yet, but we live in a godly way so that they may taste and see that God is good and turn towards. That's why I believe that we should make laws based on the two tablets of the commandments, you know, love God and to love our neighbor. Why? So that they may taste and see that God is good in an orderly society. That's important. And so our very testimony and our very influence, our salt and light, the aroma, the fragrance of ours, many times touch people. The Holy Spirit will say, we'll reach out, but yet in the end, they will reject Jesus, just as these nine leopards did. So here's my warning. Please do not be one of the nine. If there's any of you here that even if you presented yourself before Christ, test and examine if you're in the faith. Say, how do I know? You're the one who turns and worships Jesus. Turn back, praising God, falling on your feet, worshiping him. So number two, they're not regenerated. But why do some then not turn back or don't praise God? Number two, we are too focused on ourselves and we forget our former conditions. So these are Christians that we use this term backsliding. I don't like that term backsliding. We ought to throw it out. We ought to throw out the term carnal Christian as well. There are times that Christians who are carnal, who are fleshly, who are not living like God, but, but that is not an identity, okay? It's not an adjective modifier saying, oh, well, I'm a carnal Christian. You know, I'm a homosexual Christian. Oh, well, I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm a thieving Christian. It's an oxymoron. 
But there are people who say that. So why do some who proclaim Christ, and they are regenerated, why are they not worshiping God? Why are they not praising God? Because they forgot who they are. Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, warns in his letter, it's here on the monitor. He says, be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like, look at this, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So many of us look at the mirror and say, boy, that looks good, not recognizing or forgetting as we turn away that our hair is uncombed. Or we got a piece of gum stuck in their forehead because they were dumb in a movie theater. I won't tell you that story anymore. But you and I need to remember that you and I are like these ten leopards. We are the the one turning towards Christ or we're the nine who are not. And so I want you to check and see where you are this morning. That's the Spirit's response. Are you in the faith? Which leper are you? We need to remember that we are like these leopards in which we too had leprosy. In the fact that we were alienated, outcast, as a curse, and as, as uh, outcast, and had a curse upon us, filled with sin. That's our leprosy. We too needed healing, and we need to see that it's Christ's work in providing what God required. It is Christ who heals, and it's our obedience in doing that. It's not us who can heal ourselves. Also in our acceptance, we are declared righteous by God through the work of Christ. When they heard that, they accepted what God said, and they turned and they were healed. But only one accepted exactly what Jesus did and had eternal salvation. That's the faith, trusting in Christ for a cleansing. Are you trusting in Christ? Jesus were to ask you if you were to appear before the pearly gates, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? If it's anything but through the work of Christ, then I'm sorry, my friend, you will be denied entrance. But also we're like these ten leopards in our response of praise and thanksgiving. And that's what I want to call you to. One, test and examine your faith. And if you find yourself as you're in that good soil, that you're that one leper, you're ready, that you're ready to love the giver of the good gifts, then your response is praise and thanksgiving. Falling at the feet of Christ. So how do you and I do that? How do we keep from repeating the nine's error? And this is where I'm going to close. The answer is simple. We must be sure that we do not miss the opportunities before us to praise and worship God. These nine, they missed the opportunity. The one did not. We need to turn our face to Christ and offer praise and worship for what he's done for us. For we have received exactly what that leper has received. We have received an inward cleaning. Now, can that affect our outward cleaning? Definitely. He can restore our marriages. He can restore our relationships. He can restore us to new life and give us a new purpose. 
You may ask, what are some ways? Here's some ways to do this, to offer praise and thanksgiving. Let me give you five of them. Number one, attend worship services. Be here early. Be ready for when we say it's a moment of quiet. Come early just to welcome people. But attend worship. That's when we are to gather together and to praise God for what he's done. Attend small groups. That's a great time where we get together and just delve in each other's lives and we pray for each other in a stronger and deeper way. Attend adult core class. Uh, we're getting near the end. We have two left for this year. But that's a great time where we're learning more about how he has cleansed us and how he's doing that in our lives. Begins. It's every Sunday at 945. Attend our life events. Like, our, like, like the, big, the big things we have, the Christmas banquet, uh, you know, the uh, harvest party, other types of things that we do. Why? Because all of those are times in which we can praise and worship God and share what God has done for us with each other. Read through the Bible. This is a good time. January comes, uh, we're reading through the Bible. Let's read through the Bible. Read through the New Testament if you've never been able to read through the whole thing. Try just the New Testament. Journal your readings and prayers. Take a, just take a moment and just what you read and just, just, hey, you know, God, thank you for this. Or Lord, help me to understand this. Get a prayer app on your phone. That's the best way to do it. I do prayer me. You can, there's all sorts of them. Uh, and every day at 8.30, I get a list. I've taken the church people, and I've broken you up into uh, five days, including the Spanish church. And I pray for you personally, you and your families. Uh, I could tell you what days you are if you ask, but that's the day I'm praying for you. And then I have, a, you know, then I have other prayers that, that, that I do as well for the fire department and other areas of my life. And it just reminds you, pray for these five people. Pray for these four families. Why? So it helps us. That's how we praise and worship God is through prayer. Then lastly is sharing how Christ has healed you. This leopard that returned, he was the greatest witness for God. The other nine went to the priest. He looks at him and says, oh, you're clean. Wow, this is odd. Who did that? Yeah, it's Jesus, that guy that's traveling through. Well, who is he? I don't know, man. He's a great healer. He did the job. Well, are you going to see him again? I don't, know. I don't know. He's God, man. He took off. I'm going to go see my family. What type of witness were they? Yeah, God did some great things, but I don't know anything about him. You and I do. We should be intimately acknowledged with God and who he is. He's given us his word. So I encourage you, and I want to warn you today. Let's be encouraged that we have been healed and we're to respond in worship and prayer. But I also want to warn you, do not be the other nine. Do not neglect so great of a salvation. I'm going to close with this verse here. Psalms 126. Do I have it up there? Yeah. Would you read this out loud with me? We don't usually do it at this time, but let's read it. It's short enough. Ready? The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Let's do that once again. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Man, that's easy enough to memorize. Put that on a magnet. I bet you Paige could put that on a, on a coaster for you or something so you can have it. Some of you who are so inclined, you might even be able to get that tattooed. I don't know. But if you do it, you got to do it in, that's Psalm, so you got to do it in Hebrew. I know it. I know. Well, some of you, so you, well, yeah. You know what? Forget the tattoo and just donate it to the church instead to our deacon's fund. We'll do that instead. Tattoos aren't going to last forever. They'll be gone as soon as God calls us back home. That's not part of the message, by the way, at all. But the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Pray that you are. 
And I pray it shows in your life and your praise and your worship for his glory and for our good. Amen? Amen. All right, let's have every head bowed, every head closed as Randy comes up. We're going to do communion in a moment. But we just want to take a moment to pause and consider the things that we learned today. God has done great things for us. But if we're honest, there are ways in which we have acted like the nine. We're too busy complaining about everything else to really truly give worship. Let it not be so. And would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength and the wisdom to respond how he might be calling you this morning, either to him to receive his mercy or to praise and worship. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.